You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Hallelujah. Well, the title of my message really quickly in just the few minutes we have left is Kingdom Elevation. Kingdom Elevation. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, um, and I'm just going to abbreviate the scriptures. They can throw them up on the screen. But Luke chapter 4 is where Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and then the same Holy Spirit that fills him leads him into the Jordan. He's led from the Jordan into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they were uh, ended, he was hungry. And then there were three temptations that the devil brings to Jesus. The first one, turn these stones into bread. Uh, the second one, there's a scripture that says, the angels will guard you lest you dash your foot against a stone. So Satan takes him up on, on the pinnacle of the temple and says, throw yourself down. And uh, Jesus says, it's written, you shall not test the Lord thy God. And then uh, finally, Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and their splendor. And he says, all these have been delivered to me. And I can d- give them to whoever I like if you would just bow down here in the wilderness with no one watching and uh, make, a, make a, a, an agreement with me, but coexist with me. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And I didn't come to coexist. I came to dethrone you. I came to evict you. I came to defeat you. I came to cast you out. I came to cast you down. But then this is the, this is the, the verse, verse uh, 14 that I want us to, to land on, if you can bring up verse 14. It says, then Jesus returned in the... Come on, somebody. Jesus returned in the... So he went out in... He, he was filled with the Spirit, led out into the wilderness by the Spirit. So he was filled, he was led. But now he returns in the power of the Spirit. There's a price to the power. The title of my message tonight is Kingdom Elevation. I've got three quick thoughts that I want to give you. The, the, the first thing I need you to understand is the moment you are born again, you enter the kingdom of God. The moment you are born again, the moment that you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, the moment that you get, get saved, the moment I got saved, I was born again, I entered the kingdom of God. But what's interesting about the kingdom is Jesus continually gives narrative on the kingdom. And he says, I'll tell you the truth, of all the prophets that are risen, there's none greater than John. So he's comparing all the prophets, and he says, all the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, Jeremiah, all the prophets that are risen, there's none greater than John, but whoever is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So, so that tells me that tells me that it's, there's kind of like there's a quality issue in heaven. There are archangels, and then there are angels, and there are messenger angels, and there are seraphim, and then there are cherubim. God has no problem with rank. God has no problem with authority. So let me say this. The moment you are born again, you enter the kingdom. The Holy Spirit is sent to you to develop the kingdom in you. To develop the kingdom in you. For, for For us to take a city... For, for us to take regions, for us to, to fulfill our assignment, it is one thing to get you born again. Sadly, most churches quit at once you're born again. Well, we, well, Jesus, our job here is done. And he's like, I'm not sure what part of the Great Commission you're missing because your job isn't done. Your job has just begun. 
In fact, you didn't born again them. I had to born again them. You don't have the power to born again anybody. They are born again when my spirit comes in and regenerates and they come to life. Now that they're born again, I need you to disciple them. I need you to to get them to walk in my ways. So I want you to know, however you entered the kingdom of God, that there's more. And I'm so grateful that there's more. So let me give you three quick thoughts. The first one, point number one, is adversity equals elevation. Adversity, we, we, we hate adversity. We hate adversity. But it was, it was Goliath that David defeated that became the definer of David no longer being a shepherd of sheep, but being a king of Israel. Wow. The, the, the defining moment, the, the distinction was made in David's life when a stone left his sling that sunk in the head of Goliath, when all the military guys stepped back and a 16-year-old teenager stepped forward and says, I'll take him out. Your servant has fought lion and bear, and the same God that delivered me from the power of the lion and from the power of the bear is the same God who will deliver this Philistine this day into my hand. And then he takes Goliath's sword and he cuts off his head. Now, how many people know that the devil in John 10.10, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life, but the devil is a thief, and he comes to do three things. He comes to steal, comes to kill, and comes to... So the devil, steal, kill, destroy. When I, when I first got saved, we would hear about the devil this and the devil that and the, you know, the devil in Ouija boards and the devil in music and the devil in rock and roll and the devil in drum beats. And it was like, man, the devil's everywhere. And, uh, you know, and it was almost like God was on sabbatical or having a break or whatever. And it just it seemed like the, the, the devil was powerful and the church was just kind of like, you know, maybe if we hide, maybe if we're really quiet, the devil will, will you know, will leave us alone. But if the devil attacks, there's nothing you can do because the devil is so powerful. Except, I want you to notice that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. David puts a stone in Goliath's head. The Bible says there was no sword in David's hand. David said to Goliath, I'm going to take your head from your shoulders. I'm going to feed your sorry carcass to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air so the whole world may know there's a God in Israel. And the next verse says, but there was no sword in David's hand, which means that when he got to Goliath, he had a deficit. He wasn't resourced. So the Bible says that he took Goliath's sword. Now, when you take something that doesn't belong to you, it's called stealing. Now, Goliath is laying there because he's got a giant stone hanging out of his forehead. That was a kill shot. So we see steal, we see kill. But when he took the sword and removed his head from his body, how many people know it's really hard to band-aid a head back on? I mean, if you know... If you know anything about zombies, the only way to kill a zombie is you've got to cut their head off. Once their head is off, you're good. If you think, I shot them, I shot them, I'm good now. No, no, no. They're in the background and then you've got to take their head off. Kill, steal, kill, destroy. I want you to know that, that God wants you to walk in authority. He wants you to walk in power. So... When, when, when 
when we read the book of Revelation, there are seven letters to seven churches, and all of them finish with, to him as ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life. To him who overcomes, I'll give him a new name. To him who overcomes, I'll put a white robe on him. To him who overcomes, I'll give authority over the nations. To him who, seven letters to seven churches, they all finish with, to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. Uh, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of, of the glory of God. The Bible says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the most beautiful thing is the Bible says that, that, that when we fall, when we stumble, when we sin, that we have an advocate, we have an intercessor with the Father. And most churches camp there. Most churches don't deal with sin very well. You either have the, you know, the, the faux holiness church where we pretend there's no such thing as sin or we pretend that somehow through sheer discipline, the pastor's so holy. Not only has he overcome sin, but he no longer perspires. <laughs> yes, gingivitis is not going to affect him. He doesn't even brush his teeth. He's so anointed. He doesn't have bad breath. He doesn't have body odor at all. He doesn't even sweat. He's reached a... Doesn't exist. Not real. But, but let me just say this. That in my life, the, 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 devil, the devil for many, many years, when he realized that I understood that Jesus died, no matter how hard I try, Jesus died to take out the deficit. He died to wash away my sin. He died to... The, the, the devil didn't mind me camping there that I could be forgiven for my transgression. He didn't mind me being forgiven for my transgression. But Revelation, seven letters, seven churches, says to him who overcomes. To him who overcomes. So there's forgiveness when we sin. But there's promotion when we overcome. There's... There's forgiveness when we sin. And there's a lot of people, they're just in that cycle. They sit and they go and get forgiveness. And they sit and they get forgiveness. And they sit and they get forgiveness. And the devil doesn't mind you camping there. What he doesn't want is for you to overcome. Because point number two, whatever you overcome, you dispossess. Whatever you overcome, you dispossess. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Tracy Armstrong spoke to our men in this building. And he told the story about a, a, a warrior by the name of Benaiah, who was one of David's mighty men. The Bible says that he uh, slipped into a pit on a snowy day, only to find, poof, as he hits the bottom, two yellow eyes and a growl comes out of the darkness of the corner, and he's in a pit with a hungry lion. Only one of them was getting out of that pit that day, and the Bible says he killed the, the lion, and he was the one that got out of the pit on a snowy day. And then the Bible says that he fought a, a, a nine-foot-tall Egyptian. And the Bible says that when he fought this spectacular man, a nine-foot-tall Egyptian, the Bible says that he went at the, the Egyptian and there was just a staff in his hand. But there was a spear in the giant's hand. And the Bible says that Benaiah dispossessed the spear from the giant and killed him with his own spear and then emerged with the spear of the giant. When David defeated Goliath, years later, David's in exile because Saul's chasing him. And he runs to Abiathar, the priest, and he says, do you have any weaponry for me? Saul's got the, 
3,000 assassins trying to hunt me down. And he says, well, it's the, it's the priest's house. All I've got is, oh, actually, you know what? I've got a sword. And it's your sword. It's the sword of Goliath. And David said, give it to me. There's none like it. Whatever you, whatever you overcome, you dispossess. Benaiah went in with a staff, but he emerged with a spear. What the devil doesn't want you to realize is that when you overcome, you get authority over that thing. You have power over that thing. When you pray, chains break because you, you may have gone in with a staff, but you dispossess and now you have a spear in your hand. The third one, because I want to pray for people, and I could talk about Elijah, but I don't have time. But the third one is that prob problems activate heavenly power. Problems activate heavenly power. We don't like problems. We don't like problems. I just wish I had no problems. One time somebody said to Dale Carnegie, he said, man, I just, I got business problems. I got relationship problems. I got problems with my teenagers, problems with my marriage. I got problems with my health. I got, man, I just wish there was a place where there was no more problems. And Dale Carnegie says, oh my gosh. I know of such a place. Get in the car. I'll take you there now. And the guy's like, what? So he gets in the car and they drive for, for about 45 minutes. They get to the outskirts of town. They come over this hill. And there's these beautiful green fields. And then they pull up at these kind of stone, uh, these uh, kind of iron gates with stones everywhere. And he looks through and he goes, it's a cemetery. <laughs> yeah, but none of these people have any more problems. <laughs> While you're alive, you're going to have problems. Do you know that you and I have a New Testament because Paul had to continually confront problems? Every single epistle was written to address problems in the church. Did you know that, that we have records of Jesus performing miracles because people brought to him their problems? There was a paralytic carried on a mat well, Jesus is teaching. He's just happy to teach. And the next one, something, and then a foot comes through the ceiling. Sorry. And then, and, they, and the owner of the house is like, ah, but he can't get out because of the crowds. And they're ripping a big hole in his ceiling. And the next one, these four guys, they tie some ropes on the, on the, on, on the, uh, on the stretcher and then, There you go, Jesus. <laughs> they, they delivered Jesus a problem. 5,000 men plus women and children have got no, no food. And the disciples say, send them away. And he's like, no, you give them something away. They're like, oh, this problem's too big for us. Jesus says, sit them down in groups of 50. Nothing's too big for God. Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Every single miracle was a problem first. The miracles in the Bible, every miracle is, was preceded by a problem. We see problems as negatives. God sees problems as opportunities. God sees a problem as an opportunity that he can fix. Did you know that, that Samson, the anointing, if you read the, 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 the book of Judges and you, you read the chapters on Samson, Every single time the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, it was preceded by a problem. The Bible says, And a young lion came out of the vineyards of, Tim of Timnah and leaped upon Samson, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. He grabbed the lion and tore it apart like you would tear apart a young goat, which Dr. Matt says isn't, isn't quite that easy.
Said the third time he did it, it's a lot easier as a technique, but the first time, it was a problem. The Bible says that the children of Israel, they, they, they didn't want to mess. They didn't want to mess with government mandate, the Philistines. The Philistines. They said, do you not realize the Philistines rule over us? Why are you resisting mask mandates? Why are you resisting the Why are you doing all of this stuff? Don't you realize that? And so the Bible says that they made a covenant. They made a deal with the Philistines saying, hey, what if we hand over Samson? What if we hand? And so Samson makes them swear that, you won't kill me first, we won't kill, we'll, we'll let them kill you. Thank you. You're so kind. So they, they, the Bible says they bind him with ropes and they deliver him to the Philistines. And the Bible says 6,000 Philistines turn up to arrest one man. One rogue man who refuses to compromise. They sent an entire army after Elisha because one man the devil is terrified of just one man or one woman that refuses to back up, that refuses to back down, that refuses to bow down, that refuses to compromise. I'm telling you, you are a threat. You are a threat to the devil. So the Bible says that, that when they hand him over to the Philistines, 6,000 against one man, problem, you just betrayed by your own people and they hand you to the enemy. Next verse says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and the ropes became like flax, just snapped off his arms. The Bible says he picked up the jawbone of a donkey and just, just began to bust heads. There's all these Philistines in rank with their, you know, their armor on and their swords and their spears. And they're like, you know what's going on up there? Oh, that's, that's, that's Samson. Have they arrested him? Oh, does it look that way? What do you think's happening? I'm not sure, but I see heads exploding. You see what? I saw a head explode. How's he doing that? And they, they were Scottish Philistines. He's coming this way. Anyway, 5,000 Philistines fled because 1,000 got taken out. If I was honest with you, I, God is a little bit sneaky. This is going to sound a little bit blasphemous, a little bit like tooth decay, very sneaky. It's an Australian ad, Caroline. <laughs> Just like the liquid gets into the chalk. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, so there are things, there are things when you go to Bible college that God doesn't tell you. He doesn't tell you for the rest of your life. People are going to be bringing you their problems. Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're your, your problems, and then there's, and for the rest of you. Solomon has a dream. Solomon becomes the king of Israel. And then he has this dream. He's just a young pup. He's in his early 20s. He has this dream where he's standing before God and God asks him in the dream. And he says, Solomon, ask for anything you want, anything you want. You're the king of Israel. You can have anything you want. What, what would you want? And Solomon's like, oh my. He says, my father David reigned over there. He goes, I'm just a young guy, inexperienced. God, would you give me wisdom? 
you give me wisdom that I may know how to go in and go out before these people, that I may know how to govern and lead these people, that I may know how to fulfill the assignment for my life. Give me wisdom. The Bible says, and the Lord spoke to Solomon and said, Solomon, because you didn't ask for the lives of your enemy, because you didn't ask for wealth, fame, it says all of these things follow wisdom anyway. They're all going to be added to you. But I'm so pleased that you asked for wisdom. It was a dream. Aren't you sure how many times you had a dream? You're like, man, I had the craziest dream. He wakes up the next day. He's eating breakfast, bacon and eggs, maybe not. Being Jewish, probably not. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's an interruption. Come in, um, your highness. Uh, problem. He's come all the way up the ranks and nobody knows what to do. Two women, both prostitutes. Ten months ago, both got pregnant. They both had little babies. Last night, one of the, the mamas, as she was nursing, fell asleep. She rolled over on the baby and suffocated the baby, and it died. And in the middle of the night, she took that baby, and she switched it out for the other baby, and she left the dead baby on the breast of this one, and she took the live baby. And when the other mama woke up, she looked at the dead baby and thought, that's not my baby. Hey, you've got, she said, and they're arguing and we can't make hide or tail. We don't know. Both are claiming the live one is theirs and the dead one is the other person's. We don't know what to do. Solomon summons a soldier. And he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, unsheath your sword. Unsheath his sword. It says, cut the baby in half. Give half to this one and give half to that one. One of the women goes, goes, no, 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 please, no, 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 no. Give the baby to her. Give the baby to her. The other woman, no, cut it in half. Solomon says, that's not the mama. That's the mama. Give the baby. That's because hurting people hurt people. People under judgment are judging. It says, take the child from her, give it to this one. This one's the mama. And the Bible says, the wisdom of Solomon, the fame of Solomon went out. When you sit on a plane, they, they, you know, they go through the safety thing, you know, you know there, there are exit doors, two located, you know, like this. And then they say, you know, should we lose cabin pressure, which you hope never happens, but should we lose cabin pressure? Masks will fall from the ceiling. And it's the only time it's not like, you know, we've got to put children first. It's the only time they say, don't put children first. Put your own mask on first. If you're traveling with infants and small children, put your own mask on first, and then you're able to help the other people. It's like, you know, it's pretty serious. And then it says, you know, pull down on the, the, the mask, pull down to activate the flow of oxygen. So you've got to pull down to activate the flow of oxygen. Every time there's a problem that comes in your life, that problem comes so you can pull down to activate a flow of wisdom, to activate a flow of anointing. While you're alive, problems come, and every problem comes to promote you. Every giant, every Goliath, everything that you're facing comes as promotional material. 
God wants to elevate your life. It is, there is nothing more magnificent than being forgiven for my transgression. There is nothing more wonderful than the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ. But this is what I've discovered. I've discovered the devil would love me for just to live there. But in every single area, every single area where the devil's had me tripped up, what I found is when I overcome, when I overcome in that area, I exchange my staff for a spear. I exchange my sling for a sword. I exchange this level of authority for a higher level of, of authority. I'm not sure who I'm speaking to tonight, but, but you got to get just fed up with just living in this camp. Don't let the devil keep you in that camp. Tonight, we're looking at a room full of conquerors, more than conquerors. Tonight, we're looking at a room full of people who are overcomers. Tonight, we're looking at some activators. We're going to activate a flow from heaven. So come on, stand to your feet. I'm, I'm, I'm over time, but I want to pray for you tonight. Just lift your hands high to heaven. Listen, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, we're going to go out and we're going to have a luau, and it's going to be so much fun. But the first thing you need to do tonight is you need to give your life to Christ. There's a, there's a handsome man over here. He's a pickleball champion. Um, if, if he takes you to play golf and he says, hey, why don't we wager some money? Do not wager money with John Fian. He is ridiculously good at golf. I can't believe it. Look, I had to pull my kids out of private school because of it. No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have to do that. I didn't. That was a lie. But he is, he is a baptism of the Holy Ghost. He prays for people. They start speaking in tongues. He's amazing. And uh, he's got a Bible and he's got a following Jesus book. They're our gift to you. If your life's not right with Jesus, get it right tonight. If you're away from Jesus, come back. If you've never surrendered, surrender. If you brought somebody that needs to get their life right, come and see John down here. Come and see one of the team. We'll, we'll get that to you. But I want to pray for people tonight. The devil would love for you to get stuck. And I found in life, it's so easy to get stuck, stuck in a rut, stuck in the same old, same old. Who's kind of ready to leave the same old, same old? Who's ready to kind of move out from the rut? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, I declare, I declare that, that, that the kingdom is increasing in these people. I declare, Lord God, over these magnificent sons and daughters right here in San Marcos, that Jesus went out and he was tempted by the devil. He went out by the Spirit to be tempted, but when he returned, he returned in the power. And the devil doesn't want these people to return in higher levels of power, but I declare, devil, you are defeated. I declare every hold, every chain, every shackle. When you taught me that I didn't have to keep repeating sin cycles, when you showed me that I had been delivered, that I had been set free, that alcoholism was a thing that had gripped the generations, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, but the I was a curse-breaking generation. Now a new legacy was born. When lust was something that gripped my grandfather, my, my great-grandfather, my father, but it was something that I could break. It was a cycle that I could break. It was a curse that I could break. That instead of infidelity in marriage, that I could be faithful to one woman my entire life. Father, I thank you that something was broken, that a new legacy was set in motion. I declare these sons and daughters, devil, I declare right now in the name of, I feel the anointing. I declare right now now in the name of Jesus Christ. The first thing I'm breaking is the lies. You agree with the lie that it was in your father, that it was in your grandfather. It's in you and you can't beat it. This thing is bigger than you. It's a load of nonsense.
nonsense. It, yes, it's bigger than you, but it's not bigger than the Christ in you. It's not greater than the blood of Jesus. It's not greater than the sacrifice. When Jesus hung on that cross, he broke all the power of sin. I break every chain. I loose every cord. I declare mental health and mental illness right now is broken, and I declare healing flows in Jesus' name. I declare right now there's somebody with a liver condition. God is healing right now. Healing right now. Father, I thank you right now, right now, right now, right now. And I see keys. 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 There's an authority transfer. There's an authority elevation. In my name, you'll cast out demons. In my name, you'll heal the sick. In my name, miracles will flow in my name. You weren't created just to be saved, warm a pew, turn up to a church and hear a sermonette on a Sunday. You were created to be a warrior for Christ. You were created to be a territory taker. You were created to be a region shaker. You were created to overcome. You were created to break change. You were created. Maybe things were handed down like in my life, like in Dr. Matt's life, like in beautiful Pastor Michaela's life. Maybe there was generational junk that was handed down. You're the chain-breaking generation. You're the curse-breaking generation. We declare the chain. We declare it is finished. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. Come on, one more time before I hand back to, to Dr. Matt. Father, I thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke, that breaks every chain. And I keep hearing the Holy Spirit say, tell them they don't have to live under it anymore. You don't have to live under the lie. You don't have to live under the lie. You don't have to live under the power of sin. You don't have to live under the power of transgression. You don't have to live under the power of condemnation. You don't have to live under the power of shame. Man, I feel that there's an anointing. There's somebody here and it's shame. And Jesus died to deliver you from shame. I break the spirit of shame. I break that spirit right now. Just come out from under. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The devil wants you to believe you're a second-rate, third-rate Christian. Yeah, you're barely saved. God, God just tolerates you. He doesn't tolerate you. He loves you. He shed his blood willingly for you. He has washed you whiter than snow. When the prodigal son returns to the father and he's covered in pig slop, the father doesn't say, quick, put a clean robe on him. The father doesn't even say, if you read it, Luke 15, the father doesn't even say, put a new robe on him. The Bible says, and the father said, put the best robe on him. God doesn't just cleanse you. He doesn't just make you new. The father clothes you with the best robe. If you're in Christ Jesus, the blood of Jesus so presents you before the throne of God that when you stand there, you're wearing the best robe. The angels will look at you on judgment day and say, wow, where did they get that holiness? Where did they get that righteousness? Where did they get that splendor, that glory, that majesty? And you know what you and I will say? We'll bow our knees and we'll cast our crowns and we'll sing glory and honor to the Lamb seated on the throne. 
That's why they sing the song of the Lamb in heaven, because we know the robe of righteous. I'm saying that because God is dealing with some people here with shame, and you need to hear that. There is no shame. There is no condemnation. There is no guilt, shame, or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come out from under that. Come out from under that in Jesus. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.